All right, I'm Michael, and I'm a part of the uh, Alex Park missional community. Uh, last time Greg let me do this, I, uh, I, the sermon was recorded, and my mate listened back to it, and he said, it's really obvious, Michael, that you love music um, through your illustrations. So I promise this is the one music-related illustration. Um, the kind of music you get in the top 40s is music that composers and producers uh, know will make it into the top 40s. Um, based on the kind of things that always sell. Aiming at, at the youth, researchers found that 67.3% of top 40s pop music was about relationships and love, and 29.9% on sex or sexual desire. Youth are fascinated or obsessed uh, with the idea of love. What about adults? Are we immune? Well, if we look at books, uh, at $1.44 billion annual revenue, romance and erotica is the book genre with a number one in sales. Do all these songs and books truthfully represent love? Throughout that whole library, there's probably all sorts of different ideas and theories on what love is. Um, and we want to know what it is, and we want it for ourselves. What is it? Is it just about how you feel about someone, or how they make you feel. You'll have your own ideas on whether it's a, a state of emotional, how it's related to the, uh, what you do, the things that you do, uh, activated by that emotion. Uh, but what I've got here is not just another perspective on love to add to what you already know. It's not to, uh, to add to what you've already experienced or what you've already read. Um, John writes this passage with the perspective on love. And he writes knowing he's found love and he doesn't want people to miss out. So he says to us, because of God's love for us, we're born of him. No longer born of the devil. So love others as God loved us. Firstly, we should live as we were born to. At a glance, the first few verses of this passage tell us that if you sin, you aren't a Christian. Read verse 6 with me. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. We know that this wasn't saying to them, the people John wrote to, we know it wasn't saying, none of you are believers. None of you are born again because you all sin. We know it wasn't saying that. And we know that these verses aren't saying to us, Redeemer, you're a church of unbelievers because you're all sin. And we know this because only two chapters before, John wrote, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. John acknowledges that the believers he's writing to, the people that call themselves children of God, uh, do sin. So in these verses when he says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, he's imploring these people to stop living as if they weren't children of God. Chapter 1 was addressing an issue where people would, uh, they would claim to be without sin. And most of this chapter was addressing, addressing an issue where people just weren't that bothered by their sin. They were all but too comfortable with it. So let's have a look at what John says. Verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Whoa, lawlessness. Our society doesn't really respect the law. In fact, as believers, 
Um, even when it comes to spiritual law, we can often just write it off and say, ah, we're, we're saved by, by grace. You know, the law doesn't really matter. But certainly back then, the law was everything. The law was how people pursued God. Obey the commandments, tick in every box, and then God might be pleased with you. The law is good, but we know now that that way doesn't work. Just think of what they thought of lawlessness back then in this highly religious society. The person who's living in lawlessness is a person who is living in like unrepentant sin. Living as though they don't know God at all. Living as though they don't want to know God at all. Well, this is serious now. Verse 6 says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And verse 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. If a person confesses to sonship in him, they can't go on in a habitual sin. To read the second half of verse 6, inversely, if you have seen God or known God, you cannot keep on sinning. And John goes on to make this as clear as he can in verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. It doesn't get loads more black and white than that. If a person lives righteously, they're born of God. If a person sins, they're of the devil. And John explains in verse 10 that the evidence for how a, uh, who a person is born of um, is whether they sin or whether they are righteous. And so John, in the most severe and serious explanation, is saying, if you're born of God, live like you are. You should live as you were born to. My gran was a, a primary school teacher, um, and she taught a little bit of uh, history and RE in secondary school. My granddad was a maths teacher at a girls' secondary school. My dad was a tech teacher in sale for 32 years. My mom, an instrumental teacher, still is. My sister is an instrumental teacher. I don't really stand a chance. I was born into it. Um, it wouldn't make sense. I mean, here I am, five years into teaching at a secondary school music. Um, it wouldn't really make sense for me to walk into to Tim's work and, 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 and try and be a care worker. That would be like, disastrous for those needing care. Or to walk into Will's, Will Evans' surgery and, and say, Will, it's all right, give me the scalpel, I've got this one. Like, it doesn't really make sense and it would be pretty disastrous for those needing uh, surgery on that day. Live as you were born to. I should continue to teach as I was born into teaching. Live as you were born to. If you're not living as you were born to, it's not going to look great when people uh, you're talking to about your transformation, um, you say, hey guys, Jesus has taken away my sin. I'm born of God and he's transforming me. Yeah, but you're still living like you're your own God. So where does it look like you aren't a child of God? Are you continuing in sin? Is it one of those minor, inconsequential sins like some of the readers in this passage probably thought they were in? Because it's serious. It's not of God. Maybe you don't think it's hurting anyone. 
watching TV illegally, joining in the gospel at work, how you talk to your spouse. Some of these things are quite out in the open. Some might take a little bit longer for people to uh, realise that you were in that sin. I remember chatting to this guy uh, when I first became a Christian and I realised I was living uh, in the same way that he, in fact, worse, he realised I was living in the same way that he was. And he said, yeah, Mike, he was American, and I was Mike back then, uh, yeah, Mike, you're quite a cool Christian. I was almost Aussie, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> and in that moment, I just thought, ah, what he means by cool is not a good thing, is it? How else do we not take sin seriously? I remember when I first watched uh, Peep Show, I thought it was hilarious. Um, and what I did notice, though, um, as a 16-year-old lad and whatever lang- bad language a 16-year-old lad is around or uses, and I went on to watch this show and I just thought that the language was shocking. Uh, I was kind of knocked back by how bad it was. And then really not long after, I just didn't care anymore and I was kind of desensitised to it. In the same way I grew callous to that show, are we desensitised to sin? Where it should really knock us back, and we've gotten quite comfortable, we don't take it as seriously. They're, they're acceptable sins, you know? No. Again, when we see those in our church, basically pirating films or or TV shows, gossiping about others or or disrespecting those closest to them, if we're living as we're born to, then seeing it around us at church should should rattle us up a little bit. It's not always appropriate to say anything, but we should still take it seriously. If you're in here and you wouldn't consider yourself a child of God, then understand that John is writing this to the church. And so uh, we're, we're the ones with, with the problems that John's trying to sort out. This isn't directed towards you. Uh, but this is what church should look like, and it is a beautiful thing. And you can get in on this. Verse 5, read it with me. He appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. We sin, and we're of the devil. But he lived without sin to destroy sin and the works of the devil. Only through being born again by the one who came to destroy sin will you be free from that sin. And then you too will live as you were born to. And in John's summary of his commissioning his readers to live as they were born to, he says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. That's a good summary. And then he just seems to throw in at the end, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. And that's his transition to the next section where he goes into detail of how to live as a son or daughter of God or how to live as of the devil. And so as an example of how to live as of of the devil, John uses Cain, the man who murdered his brother. And John has explained... You're on it, thank you. And John has explained in the previous section uh, the way Cain lives um, is evidence of whether he's of God or not. So John can confidently say he murdered his brother and was of the evil one. And so living like Cain is not how to live. Second half of verse 14. 
Anyone who does not love remains in death. There is no middle ground here. There's loving or there's remaining in death. Most people can get on board with the idea that um, if you do something evil like murder, then there should be severe consequences. And John at the end of verse 15 confirms that that's the case. Second half of verse 15. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. But John goes on to say, if you're not loving them, you're also in death. Verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And the reason behind this is if, if you hate and you don't want someone around, you're wishing they were gone. To God, that's a travesty. It's as obscene as to actually murder them. Living in hate isn't an option. But also not loving. It's the same thing. It's to live like Cain. Don't live like Cain. We're born of God, not the devil. Despite Jesus himself saying that to hate was as bad as murder, it was likely to hit just as hard when John echoed it in this passage. Especially when he was comparing anyone who sins which as we've already gathered is everyone, uh, with Cain. He's telling them to stop living like Cain. What an insult. Do you think you're as bad as Cain? Or the modern go-to evil person, do you think you hate as much as Hitler? Of course we don't. As believers, even when we sin, we think we're better than that. But if you hate, you're against life. How can someone against life be of the realm of life if you're in here Christian or not you're probably in that position and you don't think of your hate as that serious John is saying it is that serious hate is how the devil would have us live and knowing this should drastically affect our daily living that person at work or at church that people struggle to get on with why are you looking at me? Um, if you don't love them uh, like you're living, you're living like Cain. Uh, someone gets an opportunity to do something at work or at church or at home or just with your mates and you think you'd be better fitted or deserving of that opportunity. That could be envy looking a whole lot like Cain. Also, we need to be in a position at church where we can uh, pull each other up when we act wrongly. If someone does that to you, how do you respond? With anger? Don't react to your own mess-ups with hate. That's what Cain did. It could be serving as well. Uh, Someone is able to give more money to church, more of their time. They're better at caring for people. They're better at welcoming people. How do you respond? Because if you're not loving that person, then you are hating them. Simply to not love is serious. Apathy. Surely that's harmless. Maybe you don't care about loving people. It's not like you're hurting them. Again, if you're not loving them, then it doesn't look like you're born of God. Seize this opportunity to help and love those at the Longford Centre. If you can be a part of homeless prevention and sit out, you're hating them. Not wanting them to be a part of your life. To God, it is a travesty. But we can't do everything. Just don't let that always be an excuse. Years ago, I was part of a Christian union and we would pray that God would uh, send us people to care for. 
um, and, and to share Jesus with. Uh, then one day a woman came along and told us that there was this international cafe, the other side of the wall, meeting at the same time and a little bit after our meeting, uh, just through this door. There's no door there, stop looking there. Um, and she told us these people just wanted to make friends, uh, to practice their English, and some of them uh, wanted to actually do a Bible study, having come from countries where they'd never really heard of Jesus. Just the other side of that wall. And do you, do you know what we did as a Christian union? We did nothing. We did nothing. We were praying for the opportunities to love. And I had no idea at the time that passing up on that opportunity was so serious. In fact, uh, verse 18, read it with me. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Praying is great, but as we sat there praying, we, were, we weren't loving with actions and in truth. It was like this uh, pretend righteousness. It's the same for the new missional community. Uh, the group that provides a service to Wally Range uh, and surrounding areas through volunteering uh, at a park run, there's a less obvious uh, need, as it's not likely people will be homeless there. Um, however, to pass up on loving these people, and week after week on those Saturday mornings to just go, ah, I'll marshal up next week. It starts looking like we're hating. Okay. That's all pretty intense. That was living like the bad example. That's what not to do. Now we look at the good example. I'm not going to lie, this is just as intense. Um, in fact, we look at Jesus for the best example. As the example of living righteously, we should be living like Jesus. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Ah, finally, he's going to tell us what love is. Everything you know about love, forget it now. Right now, listen to what John says, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay, after all that, John doesn't actually tell us what love is. Um, he tells us what love is willing to do. To what limits love will go to. And in the context of this passage, that's all we need. Love is Jesus willing to put aside his life, his righteousness, his physical well-being, his flesh and blood, his desires, his experiences. Verse 5 says, in him is no sin. And so put aside his righteousness, his sinlessness, his law-abiding, his pride, his status, his reward for us. That is what love is willing to do. Where are the limits to love there? And when John goes on to write, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, he uses the word ought, which he only uses in the whole book of 1 John when he's talking about using Jesus as a, as a template. So what ought we do? Live righteously and live like Jesus by loving others as he loved us. After looking at Jesus and thinking, where are the limits to his love? What are your limits? At work, there's this phrase that's thrown around. Uh, when someone asks you to do something, and you, <laughs> you try and get out of it uh, and turn it down. Um, and people start saying, like, oh, everyone's busy. 
I hate that phrase. Um, and it's like, I, I don't actually have time, though. Uh, time's a big one. That's, that's the one where we at least unconsciously will hold back from giving. In living like Jesus, what can you move around in your life or remove from your weekly schedule to prioritise other people knowing Jesus' love like you do? Don't let your limits to love be bound by busyness. What are your limits? For others, it might be personality types. You can, re you can read this book and see Jesus as incredible in any social situation, talking to thousands of people, standing up to, publicly standing up to some of the most powerful people in the day. And yet I'm pretty certain that at the times Jesus went off in prayer and solitude or just hanging out with his, with his closest mates, an introverted trait, he was getting some essential recharging time. Jesus needed time from people as well, but would often give that up to love them. He laid down his life even before the cross. He was exhausted for people. Now, are you ever exhausted by the time you give to people? And I'm not talking about the time you're paid to, to be around people. I'm talking about before or after that time. When you get home and you're just wiped out and you want to put your feet up, but... You've invited around some church family, that couple that you've not invested in for a little while. That, that guy that didn't get the job he wanted. Outside the church, that friend who has just lost a parent. Will you be exhausted for them? There are certainly great arguments for recharging in whatever way is healthy for you. But if we're constantly striving to be comfortable, are we living like Jesus? What limits will you go to? Let's take a look back at Cain. Verse 12. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Cain hated the righteous one. And John's saying, if you are righteous and you love... You will be hated. If you use Jesus as a template, you'll get the same treatment he did. Some outside the church, when you love them, they may hate you for it. Some of you might have experienced this if you have family or friends that aren't Christian. At points, you've loved them by telling them about Jesus and how he laid down his life for you and them. And it angers them. People don't like to be told that they're not good enough on their own. People want to be their own saviour. It makes sense. It's natural to us. But let this be assurance to you that having communicated the good news of Jesus in a humble way, you have loved them. Even if they make you feel like you haven't. It may be that you've loved someone else um, instead of your family or friend and You've laid down your life for someone else and they just don't get it. Why, why did you go to church on that Wednesday night to, to love those people? I, I just wanted this company, you know? Well, we know you'll be hated by unbelievers but for loving others, but tragically, John is also talking about being hated for your righteousness by those within the church. Cain was Abel's blood relative brother 
Giving sacrifice to God. Both would out, outwardly be doing things that were righteous, and yet only one of them was living like Jesus. And that one was hated by the other. Greg talked last week in chapter 2 about antichrists. There's another cheerful one. People who are among the church doing all these supposedly righteous things, and yet they aim to draw people away from Jesus. For your love to them, be wary of people in the church that will draw your attention away from love. As we've been looking um, at Jesus for how we know what love is, this isn't just a model in which we know love, but also the means in which we know love. It is how we know what love is. We sin and we're imitators of Cain and we're of the devil. He lived without sin to destroy sin and the works of the devil. And only because he did that do we know what love is. Jesus lived without sin because we can't. And now after Jesus destroyed our sin, we can live like him. And we should live like him. It can't be where we're trying to live like him to destroy our, our, our sin. It's done. He did that for you. That's how he loved you. That's how he loved us. And as we come to the table, we remember what he did when he laid down his life for us. His body was broken for us while we hated him. His blood spilled to destroy the work of the devil and to destroy our sin. However, if you don't call yourself uh, born of God, then while we eat and drink, please just sit out of this one and think through as we sing um, some of the lyrics and what Jesus did for you and whether you want to give your life to him as he gave his life for you. Uh, but if, you're, if you are someone who would call yourself a child of God and, you, and you're not normally in this congregation, please join and eat with us um, and that would be great. Let me pray.